Hello and welcome to the Trial Lawyer Podcast. Today we're going to be talking ethics in two separate discussions between me and Scott Powers of the law firm of uh, Snow Christensen and Martineau and a separate discussion between me and my partner Dan Garner here at White and Garner. Um, we'd encourage you to listen all the way through so you can get to you know the various different issues that we cover. Also, when you get a chance to rate us there on iTunes and uh, give us some comments. Also, you can go to the law, the the website where we host the podcast, which is at uh, SaltLakeTrialAttorney.com, and there's a link there to the Trialers podcast. You can listen there. You can also submit questions or comments, and we'll do our best to address those uh, on the air if we can. Um, also wanted to remind you all to check out uh, trialguides.com. Uh, they're our partner. Um, they're partnering up with us for uh, this portion of this podcast. Uh, they're a leader in continuing education for civil plaintiffs and criminal defense lawyers. They do some really great books, DVDs, CLEs, live webinars, and more. Um, I've looked at, uh, they've got a great CLE, or excuse me, a great DVD of forms for dealing with uh, insurance companies that use Colossus and other, um, and other claim management or claim processing software uh, to make sure you get the best deals you can for your clients. Currently reading Don't Eat the Bruises, How to Foil Their Plans to Spoil Your Cape by Keith Mitnick, and I can already tell that it's going to be a powerful addition to our trial strategy here at our firm at White & Garner, so uh, I encourage you to check that out. Um, and so without further ado, here is the Trial Lawyer Podcast. Okay, so civility. Uh, this is obviously something that um, it seems like lawyers in other states may not be familiar with, at least based on what I see them saying on TV or, or what is A lot reported. of states are adopting civility rules like ours, but we've actually codified but it. Explain, explain for, our, for our listeners who may be outside the state of Utah or maybe in a state that doesn't have civility rules. It seems like whenever I litigate, my biggest, the biggest civility problems I encounter for opposing counsel are either there's a few kind of bad apples in state uh, on, or yeah. anyone from out of state or anyone not from, <laughs> not anyone from out of state interesting enough anyone from a really big city out of state and i think the reason for that is they litigate against you and they figure they're never going to see you see again you. in your in their whole career and so they feel like they can do whatever they want and um you know so explain a little bit powers about how the civility regime works in the state of Utah, what that means. Well, I mean, today we could go off on all the different aspects of civility, but I think the big key here is does being a jerk pay off? Now, going into the, you know, what, what civility is and, uh, here in Utah. Well, and, 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 I, and I guess I do, that actually answers my question, I think, because the, for, and also those who may be listening who are not lawyers, mm-hmm. when we say civility, we're basically meaning... Not being a jerk. Well, and that's that's yeah. That's, that's very, a, that's very a, broad. That's it. Yeah, way to that's, say it. 
you know, and and it, and we have a set of. I hesitate almost to call them rules because they're not. Well, no, really they binding. are though. They have been. They they are binding. They they're codified are and they're binding. No, they were. The, but the, is the, the so the Supreme Court? Yes. They, there were suggestions initially, and True. then what, what? Two years ago, three years ago, whatever it was. It's probably more than that. Um, the Supreme Court actually incorporated them as part of the uh, the ethical rules that govern us. That's actually not true. I, and, and, I don't know. And here's, and here's, here's how I know. The, so back a few years ago when I sat on the, on the, the uh, Ethics Advisory Opinion Committee, we would sometimes get letters from people who are basic lawyers who are asking us to issue an opinion basically about civility issues. And, you know, from opposing counsel. And, you know, we would talk about, well, you know, what are the real remedies of that? We wouldn't issue opinions because we were, our task was to opine on whether or not something was violated the rules of professional conduct. And one of the things that we had an an ex officio member of the Office of Professional Conduct on the board, and I remember her saying that they do not have jurisdiction to... Um, bring sanction you, you to for... sanction you, bring you to hmm. take you to court, which is what happens if you, you know, run afoul of the rules of professional conduct, the ethical rules. Um, and um, you know they're going to try and take your license away. I, I have heard that they you can get referred to OPC. Not not that's the Office of Professional Conduct. It's the same thing. You can get referred to like this civility mediation program that the they've, they've set up to try and you know get lawyers to be more civil or they, they can force you to go to it sounded like civility camp when they <laughs> described it but civility camp the question becomes is is something a rule if it's if it's unless it's enforceable? well I, well and that's that's i guess an open question because my understanding is when it became rule 14-301 of the ethical rules it is now enforceable i could be wrong I have never had because it was actually. I mean, they were promulgated in two thousand three, and everyone said, "Oh yeah, it's good to be nice. It's good to be nice." But then, when they became Rule fourteen three hundred one of the ethical rules, my understanding was that there is there is more of an ability of courts to enforce them. Regardless, they're they're expected to comply with it, and if you're violating it, and the other side shows that you're violating it, then the courts are probably going to say, "Well, you're you're not doing this right." So if I'm deciding whether or not to impose sanctions based on your failure to do X, Y, and Z, have you ever had a case where somebody got sanctioned for violating the rules of civility? I have used the rules of civility myself to ask for Rule thirty seven sanctions, and as a result, I have obtained. The relief I was asking, but for. was the rule Whether was not, the, was the basis for it the breaking of the civility rule or or the rule thirty seven issue? It well, the, I think it was the rule seven the, issue. Rule yeah. rule thirty seven of the of the. Utah I've never, rules I've never, but, but then again, keep in mind, I've never, I've never asked for relief based on any of the ethical rules either. That's I've, something within the purview, I think, of OPC. I've dropped it into. I've dropped you know things about the rules of civility into arguments before. Um, and that's typically and, where I use it too. And you know, 
on the hopes that the court will see it and will say, okay, this will tip the scales in favor of me on the substantive issue that I'm trying to get relief on, whether it's a client who's come to me and said, oh, I've got a default entered against me and, you know, they, well, they never called my lawyer and told them in advance and uh-huh. there's a rule of civility in yep. Utah that prevents that. That's it, or it doesn't prevent it, but says you should call if you know that they have a lawyer. Um, I would drop that rule of civility in there. I wouldn't expect that to be the basis for the court overturning a default, unless the court, you know, unless there was also case law based in in the in the rule, you know, rule sixty, the rule that provides for setting aside of judgments. Um, you know, to back it up. I, I wouldn't expect a court to make a ruling based on the rules of civility alone. No, I, I, I agree with you there. And the only time I've ever seen major, major civility things have been when, frankly, when somebody goes after a judge. But or, or there'll be a footnote dropped, like in an appellate brief or in a, uh, a judicial decision that says, you know, the rules of civility... Parties keep calling each other's arguments ridiculous or attacking each other personally. This, you know, is prohibited by the rules of civility and the parties are directed not to do this in the future or, you know, this this weighs heavily in our decision or something like that. Um, but it's in, it's in the footnote. I mean, it's not like, hey, the only one I ever saw was when old, uh, the, the time that Professor Dyer... Uh, nah. went after the Court of Appeals and and the Supreme Court struck his briefs as he 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 said he suggested they were corrupt or that they did a lot of things bought uh, yeah well it was that was the issue that he it, it was in his briefing that he to the Supreme Court I think that he'd suggested that the reason the Court of Appeals had ruled against him was because somebody must have been paid off. For the only way that there could have been, that they could have read some case a certain way as if one of them was bought off or something like that. And, and well, people and he was for being, themselves. And he was being serious about it. And uh, the Supreme Court was not pleased with that. And they struck his, uh, I believe they struck his briefs and entered uh, judgment against his opponent or for his opponent. for his opponent yeah and that's i think that you know i'm not saying that's the only time it's ever happened that's the only time i'm aware of no, major I, I sanctions that affect the client well again I, I i think the bottom line in all of this is just well i disagree i i have used these as catalysts maybe in conjunction with getting other relief that i'm looking for but there are a lot of these that are they're, they're things that lawyers know and understand, but they've never really had them codified before. I mean, I'm looking through them right now. And let me and let me be clear. I'm not suggesting that they're bad or that I think that lawyers shouldn't comply with them. I, in fact, wish that they were enforced more well, so, regularly. Well, let's just talk about what they are first, because I think okay. we're, we're getting onto the tangents, and you asked me a question at the beginning. Right, now, what are right. they? They're a series of conduct rules. Right, that that deal with how to be nice to each other. Um, the first, to for example, not be a jerk. 
They lawyers shall advance the legitimate interests of their clients without reflecting any ill will that clients may have for their adversaries, even if called upon to do so by another. Instead, lawyers shall treat other counsel, parties, judges, witnesses, and other participants in all proceedings in a courteous and dignified manner. And the comment goes on to say that this is specifically addressing, you know, inappropriate language, maliciousness, insulting behavior. Uh, you know, jerk phone calls, jerk letters, so, so et cetera, I've, et cetera. I've seen it come up in a couple of uh, situations where it has changed behavior. Number one, I, people are a lot more careful about what they'll say in their briefs. So uh, instead of saying somebody's lying, they'll say... But a lot of times it amounts to the same thing. They'll say they're lying or that an argument is ridiculous. They'll say, you know, it's not well taken... An argument is not well taken. Has no merit. Without merit, yeah. I think without merit, straddling the line. No, no, no. Or it's, I or don't. It's, or it's, um, or, or they'll say it's internally inconsistent. Oh, I, I say without merit quite often, and that's only when it is without merit. For example, if someone says, and this actually happened recently in a case, uh, so whoever's the judge can listen. Well, yeah, Ours no, it's, okay. this has been He's resolved. Okay we we won. It's over. This. No, I didn't. Yeah, I'm fine with being <laughs> sanctioned over. It. If I sue somebody where there's no basis for it, well, then yeah, I'm going to get in trouble. Well, that's Rule Eleven. Well, before, yeah, right? um, yeah. There's and, really no basis for it. Well, that's just it. I think there are situations when there is no basis. When when it has no. Have man. you ever filed a Rule Eleven motion? I have defended against one. And, I've never and filed And asked for one. my fees, and the uh, opposing side went, oh, never mind. I've never <laughs> filed one. I've never defended against one. I've had counsel threaten me with them before. Well, and all you need to do is point out what the basis was. And yeah, exactly. And then they... Because yeah. of the reciprocal fees and, that come as a result of... Yeah, and then they, then they say, well, I still think there's no basis for it, but I just don't want to be the kind of lawyer who would file this, you know, who would file one of these motions. And I'm like, well, if it's... If you really think it's, if you're calling me to tell me it's justified, then file it. Well, let me go over some of these other ones just to give us context for later digging into what what utility is there in violating these. Or because so I, I think I think I think if they were enforced more, they would be more effective. Okay. And I wish they were. There were there were more serious sanctions for violating. So the first one is treat everyone with respect, more or less. The second one is you need to tell your clients that you are not able as a lawyer to carry their vendetta or be unreasonable. Uh, third is that you can't Im- impute improper basis for or something to some uh, to opposing counsel. Have you can't it, say the real it, reason they're doing this. Haven't you ever seen, though, this, haven't you ever been in a situation where you're talking with the lawyer on the phone and throughout the whole case, the case is cordial, and then you come to a hearing or a depot or something where the client is there, and all of a sudden, opposing counsel is really cold and hostile because his client's in the room. Yeah. I have been in that situation where I'm like, "Wait a minute! We, I thought we were buddies." So and I, now I have not had that happen. I've actually had clients ask me, "How could I be friends with this?" Yeah, how are you? Because I'm too nice. How are you? Why are you so, being so nice? To or, me? or, or I've had them come to hearings and seen me get really, really obnoxious. But then once the hearing is ended. I go to the other side, we shake hands, and we you know, chit-chat a little bit about how's life, how are the kids, things like that. And they go, how did this just happen? You you seemed like you hated him. You were telling the court how stupid he was and how bad you know, this, this motion was. I'm obviously exaggerating a little bit. But then it stops, the bell rings, and you come out of the ring, and now you're friends. And I said, yeah, well, that's exactly right. It's just like boxing. 
right? right. We're in there, we're trading punches, but it's not because we hate each other, it's because it's our job. And yeah. once, the, once the bell rings, we're okay with it. But but going back to some of these, and I'm not going to read through all of them, but... Thank goodness. I was um, a little nervous there for no, a second. No, well, there aren't that gotta, many. We could do it, and it wouldn't take all that like, much time. There are like 18 or But, you know, 40. you've got, yeah, don't seek sanctions when they're not uh, it, proper. Uh, you have to adhere. Come on now. <laughs> you, you you have to adhere to your promise, express promises and agreements. I use that quite a bit, and I say, no, you said X, and now you're representing Y. That's incorrect. Here's the correspondence. Um, and in fact, these rules say, oh, and not having ex parte communications, that's in these rules as well. One, one I think, one, one rule that's in there that I think has made a difference with some lawyers. Now, granted, a lot of lawyers were like this anyway, because we practice in a small community, and mm-hmm. so we deal with each other on a regular basis, is the rules about extensions, about extensions of time. Yeah, you have to grant them. You have to, you basically have to grant them, and that you don't, you know, unless it would prejudice the client, you don't. I'll tell my clients right up at the front, if so, if he asks, if somebody asks me for an extension of time, you know, I'm going to grant that regardless and, and I was I, just gonna, I'm not even going to call you back. I was just going to point that out. I, I often tell when I'm reporting to a client about what's happened and they see and I tell them that an extension is granted, I'll oftentimes throw in the fact that I'm obligated to provide extensions and and I, I can't, even though you might not want them to get it under another rule, I'm not able to, you know, because you don't like it, not give them what the civility rules obligate me to give them. Yeah, and I've had I've had situations with rule two, just where like we've had I've had a client come in and somebody else is you know they've gone through one or two more lawyers before getting to my door and you know somebody's warned me that they're a little bit of a difficult client where I actually attach the rules of civility to the fee agreement and <laughs> and reference them that you know this is what I'm going to do you know lawyer will lawyer. You know, has has a, an obligation to comply with the attached rules, and client understands. You know, will review these and will not ask lawyer to violate them, and on and on and on and on. But um, so that the clients understand that, you know. But this is not what we see. You know, when we see lawyers depicted on TV, this is not what we see. But I think it's because it makes things less interesting. It's also not what we see when we see lawyers on TV, like in press conferences and things. All right. So speaking of those lawyers on TV, I think some lawyers here in town watch too much TV then. Because there are a few that violate select rules often. and, And I hate to say this, but I think that occasionally it pays off. Oh, that's well. That's 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 the thing that's so frustrating about it. About when when you know. I mean, I can imagine. Obviously, I never want to be a judge, um, I, for many reasons. And I, you know, I just want to try cases until I'm ready to be done being a lawyer. But um, you know, I don't like appeals. I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> until, until until the money runs out, then uh, you know, then we're all done. But. Um, you know, if, if I were a judge, you know, there are several people, not several, there are some people that I deal with (laughs) where it would be like, where it would be like, okay, so I've read your briefs. Um, we're going to read them again. You know, I've read your, I've read your, you know, when I was scheduling hearings, I'd say counsel, I've read your briefs and I'm ordering you to come to this hearing and each of you is going to bring a at least 
um, you know, $2,000 in $100 bills with you to this hearing. And then we're going to read through your briefs. And every time we get to something that violates the rule of civility, one of you, whoever did it, is going to come and put that hundred dollars up on the up on up on my bench. <laughs> and we're going to go through all the briefs on this, and and I'm going to point them out to you and explain to you why. I, I think if if judges did that, something like that, um, you know, maybe with smaller dollar amounts, so it wasn't quite so. That's painful. never going to work. Um, I, I I think if it, it, word would get around. Yeah, but so I, so I, I, I guess there's a lot of case law that says that judges have the ability to manage their courtroom and docket, and so maybe they could. They just, could do that. Just say, hey, you know what? This is how it's going to be. Heard, I've heard stories of, of judges in other states, you know. Um, in fact, I remember there was a, a really funny story that... Um, um, uh, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, it's one of my favorite presenters, too. It's driving me nuts. Um, presents on cross examination. Um, hold on, I have this book on my shelf. Um, oh, um, Roger Dodd tells a story about in one of his his uh, uh, recordings that he sells about asking a question and that a judge, a federal judge, doesn't like. And he says, "It turns out that is a two hundred dollar question in." Uh, federal court in this district in Colorado because the judge that's what the judge made me pay and uh, he had to go you know it was a case with a whole bunch of lawyers it was a criminal case and he had to go back and hadn't brought his wallet with him and fish around and ask you know hey anybody else want to cough up some money help me out here and find and and so he could keep questioning a witness <laughs> um and the story he tells is that his, the, all the clients were being tried as part of a conspiracy, and it didn't help is their case. I mean, they were already in trouble, but apparently, but it didn't help their case that one of the guys who's shackled and has been in prison for the last six months looks at one of his buddies and goes and points at him and and points back at Roger, and the the guy reaches down, pulls out, you know. You know, a couple hundred bucks, and says, and then the boss man says, and if you want to ask another one of those questions, we'll back you. <laughs> We've got the money. So you know, I yeah, I see it in other states um, being more of an issue. And when I litigate, for some reason, there was a time when I was getting a lot of lawyers out of Chicago because <laughs> there are a couple firms in town that have big offices here and have like. Their home office is in Chicago, and somebody from Chicago would come in to handle a particular matter, because of the, they, you know, it was a subject matter that the lawyers in Salt Lake didn't deal with very often, and um, you know, just horrible civility issues. I mean, you know, refusals to making me go to the court to get extensions and. Or telling me, look, I'll give you an extension of a couple days, but that's it. My policy is to give one extension and no more, regardless of the circumstances. The rest you have to go to the court for. And I'm like, well... But before we get into that, just a brief word from our sponsors. 
Unfortunately, most lawyers are never available when you need them. Many of them don't put your interests first. The lawyers at White & Garner do things differently. We take each case very seriously. We will always put your interests first. We represent people who have been injured in accidents. We also handle commercial litigation cases. Other law firms assign your case to a paralegal or secretary and put that person in charge of managing your case. Getting your actual attorney on the phone can be a nightmare, no matter how important your case. At our firm, every case is important, and every client gets our full attention. We only take cases that we are comfortable taking all the way to a jury trial. Every move we make helps us better prepare your case for trial. To get the best results at trial, you need a lawyer that is paying attention and that is not afraid of a jury. You need the lawyers at White & Garner. Each client of White & Garner has access to their attorney at any time, any day of the week. You can talk directly to your attorney about your case at any time, day or night. If we do miss your call, we will get back to you within 24 hours. If you hire a lawyer from White & Garner, we will be there for you when you need us. That is our promise, and we keep our promises. That seems like it's eventually going to come around to bite you, but okay. Um, and it makes them look well, really bad in front of judges. In I think it does look them, make them look really bad in front of judges, but I think that's the only real downside. That is. And, and so it drives Because they're, they're not going to face any kind of significant penalty because they're not repeat players here. Because you don't know, you can never tell how much this boisterous, you know, rule-violating, over-the-top, ad hominem argument that you're facing is impacting the judge, either consciously or subconsciously. You know, judges always always say, well, you know, when you have a bench trial, everything comes in, because the judge says... Oh, I know how to disregard I can, that. I can disregard that uh, later know, if no, I decide. No, it's, like, it's like, you're no... It turns out you're actually a human being as well, <laughs> and you're incapable of disregarding something that you've already heard. You know, so judges may, may sometimes say, well, you know, I, I'm not swayed by those things, but obviously if an argument... Is you know could be persuasive, but it violates the rules of civility. What's up? But and and I'm handicapping. My, am I handicapping myself by being a good guy? Yeah. Well, I think. Or, or I hate rules. to say this. I think you are. Sometimes you are. I think you are. Um. So think about it in terms of. That's settlements. why I wish they were enforced more, more, more stringent. Well, then they would. Then people would actually comply. But here's the thing: when there is a powerful incentive not to be nice. Um, you know, case in point, when when you're analyzing a case that comes in, or you're analyzing your opponent when you file a case, thinking, okay, this is the guy I want to try to get money from, or this is the guy that's trying to get money from me. Almost always, your analysis factors in how aggressive they are and how easy they are to deal with. And if they're more aggressive on the defense side, you're probably going to be more willing to take less just to get out of dealing with this person. Well, and but on the flip side, mm -hmm. well, and, and we'll talk about the consequence. On the flip side, you might be willing to pay more because they're super obnoxious. Now, it can come back on you in that I've had a couple of cases where when I go up against a firm that I know, and there are a few here in town, I'm not going to no. mention anybody, when I know the way they do things and how obnoxious they are, 
um, if I've got the okay from my client, I dig my heels in and I just look forward to yeah, ruining just, them. Just, just they're not going to give. Yeah, where, whereas yeah. if we settled, we, they might have gotten something from me, but because of who they are, I'm going to do everything oh, I yeah, can to no. destroy them. I mean, there are a couple of lawyers at, at firms that when the lawyer that lawyer is on the case, uh, I'll handle the case one way because I know that if I don't, you know, I'm not going to get... It's almost like a respect thing. It's They're not going to respect me or they're not going to... You know, it's funny though. Respond, and but then if that lawyer gets switched out because they they get they add somebody else, you can to be nice again. <laughs> and then with and it's and it's somebody else that I know that I can deal with at the firm at that firm. You'll work with. Then suddenly, you yeah. know, the case changes. But what I wanted to ask you is, you deal, or at least you used to do a lot of insurance cases, mm-hmm. and more and more and more, a lot of the decisions that insurance adjusters are making are based on the computer programs that they use to evaluate cases. And there's a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm aware that one of the criteria that gets entered into these computers is, you know, thoughts on opposing counsel and how they've, you know, are they the kind of lawyers that take cases to trial? Are they the kind of lawyers to fight every little thing? And so, you know, do... As a plaintiff lawyer, I kind of I tend to you take know, that. You have in, to be extra jerky. I take yeah. not not jerky, but I have to take that into account because I know that if I am willing to just cave on cases and settle them and 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 say I say well we're going to take this to trial and then I don't mm. unless I make it super clear that it was because my client wanted to settle and we were ready to go. I'm going to get in the computer and it's and I'm not going to get as good a settlement offers. I'm not actually going to get things resolved as fast because the computers peg me as, oh, this guy's a softy. He doesn't like to go to trial. He always settles cases. You can give him lower offers because he doesn't. Whereas if you get a reputation of somebody like, you know, that's just a killer and tries every case that comes in the door and files every motion they can think of, that goes into the computer program too. I can think of a couple of firms in town that, especially firms that do primarily large commercial work, mm-hmm. um, you know, for multi-billion-dollar companies, that it's just like it seems like every single case I have with them, you know, big or small, it's like all right, there will be two motions to reconsider filed anytime they lose a motion, and there will be. You know, they will choose the most expensive route to getting the case resolved. And I know that, and it changes my approach to them. And so I'm thinking, well, if there's, if I'm a plaintiff's lawyer, and there's, a, I know there's a computer, the most famous program I think is Colossus, mm-hmm. that is taking down, you know, everything about the case and then factoring it in, in the future, doesn't that give me an incentive to be more aggressive because it may result in me getting... I mean, the computer, oh, absolutely. computers don't make decisions based on grudges. They're not like you or I, where if somebody's a jerk, we're going to pay it. You know, it's going to get paid back sometime. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, you know, it, it's like high school football. Somebody, you know, in the middle of the, the scramble for the ball throws a little punch to the gut at you. You keep pay attention to whose number it is. And, you know, they get paid back later, um, you know, later in the game. Uh, the computer 
is just going to, you know, calculate out, all right, here is what you're allowed to settle for, here's what offers to make, here's how, here's what we want you to do to settle this case. Does that give lawyers an incentive to be more difficult, even if they'd rather be easier to deal with? And, I mean, with the rules and, and, and kind of, what do you call it, a lax or a spotty maybe, or, or light-handed enforcement of the rules versus, you know, these, you know, the, the rise of the machine, uh, you know, judgment day almost, where the, the computers are starting to make all the decisions. Um, doesn't that give more attorneys the incentive to be as rough and tumble as they possibly can? Well, yes and. Um, yes if it were all being done by computer programs and you have a history in there, then yes. You know, you've got to maintain a reputation that's going to keep you up there in the computer program, assuming the computer program is, is what is dictating the settlement value. Now, that having been said, I do and have done work for a variety of different insurers, including several large ones. I'm not going to mention them here. Sure. I have yet to have a case wherein they told me what their program had determined the settlement value was. In every case I've ever been on, in all of my practice, where even when I'm dealing with an insurance company or a very large company, they have always asked me what I value the case at. Sure. And they've gone with my valuation as far as I know. They've double checked. They have you. They have. They have you fill out. They have you fill out forms, and they are. But they'll ask questions on that form, like, all right. Ask about the jurisdiction. What do I need? To, what do we need to know about the jurisdiction? Well, they ask. What do we need to know about this judge? But, but they what do ask you know that about front. opposing that's counsel? Not, that's not. You know, typically when I'm providing a settlement value, sure, certainly I provide a value at the beginning as to what I think about it, and that'll oftentimes have a form associated. Although that's still in my practice pretty rare. Right? I guess I don't work for the more annoying insurance carriers that require very stringent. Well, forms. but back back when I and it's been a few years, okay, since I did mm-hmm. any insurance defense. It's been a lot of years, um, you know, for my own uh, psychological well-being. I won't say how long, but um, it, it, you know, you wouldn't necessarily know if they're if they're. If their responses are being dictated by the computer. No, you I don't. Just but know, I, but you're I have, just comparing them to what you've suggested. Correct. And I have yet, I mean, it may be that when I provide a suggestion and they say, okay, well, we'll, we'll go to mediation uh, with that. And, they, and then they come up with a separate evaluation based on a computer model. I don't know. It very well could be the case. But I have yet to have them ever come back and not give me the authority that I'm asking for saying that we see it differently. See, and I get that. I get maybe that, I'm just. A, I get that I'm all the time from computer machine. Maybe that's and maybe that's just the standard sort of. Um, but we're getting. I don't a, want to use the word lie or fib, but I get in mediation all the time, where where the mediators coming back and say, yeah, they, the uh, the it, it, the lawyers here and the adjuster here doesn't seem to be the problem. It's the home office. Is telling them they're they don't, they're not going to give them any more authority than X. Well, I know two insurance carriers, and I'm like, and I'm like, they may be just. I don't really me, work with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but I think we're getting a field again. I, I think the real discussion, maybe this is where you know we kind of summarize our thoughts on it, is is there a benefit to be had by arguably violating these civility rules? I think the answer is while there might be some blowback, yes, there is a benefit to being a jerk. And that's it's kind of a bummer. It is that a bummer. 
We're trying to end this podcast on a high note. I think you know that's one of our rules. Well, I think there's a benefit, but that's, that hasn't been said. <laughs> there's okay, a, crime uh, actually pays. Well, and that's it, the point of the podcast. I think there Scott is a Powers. benefit, but I think that if you're an aggressive attorney and you do your job well, I think that you can still operate within the rules of civility and be just as effective. Sure. Um, and I think you can combat a, a, a rule violator effectively as well and to largely nullify their position case in point i've got a case right now uh, where i get invective and and uh rhetoric every time we talk about anything it, it could be an extension it could be a request to do something procedural that is just easy you know easy peasy anyone else would say yeah that's fine let's do it but these people say yeah that's fine You've done X, Y, and Z. You know, they point a finger at us for something. Like, we've been over backwards for you. You're such a bunch of jerks, but we'll do it. It's always got to be, yes, oh, and by the way, you're a jerk, and let's move on. I mean, every single discussion with them has to have a little bit in there. It's like you want to say, so you're saying it's a yes. So, 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 so <laughs> to summarize, to summarize answer the is answer yes. is yes, and I appreciate the, now uh, I know where your client got the, the that the attitude he had in his deposition. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I think that's true, and I think you know, unfortunately, um, there are a lot of lawyers that take advantage of that. I'm glad that we have a rel- still have a relatively small bar, and we have a a, a relatively largely a relatively civil uh, bar here in Utah. Um, but, you know, as we get bigger, that, that may become even more of an issue, um, like it clearly is in other states, um, just because of that uh, factor we talked about before. And I think that, you know, whether or not courts are willing to really put serious teeth behind the rules of civility or not is going gonna, is gonna to really make a big difference as to whether or not they're, they're enforced. Well. Or whether or, not, whether or not lawyers choose to follow them. Well, I keep saying, this is the last thing I'll say, but. Maybe they're not, they're not enforced for their, what they are, but I, I got to say, I love it when I get a really obnoxious out-of-state you know, attorney coming in and being uncivil because the judges hate it so bad that I, you know, I let them file a few oh, motions yeah. and, and do a few things. And by that point, the, the judge just looks on me as an angel that can do no wrong. And, oh. and I'm fighting the good fight. And my clients basically won the case to, to a degree. I've, I mean, I, I haven't seen it affect the case outcome. I have seen judges be like, oh, this went so much easier than last week when we had. And it was an, one of these oh, I, in-state bad apples when we had such and such was trying a case in here. And, you know, challenged every single juror for cause. <laughs> the whole, you know, and it was, in a, it was a case in a small town. And so they were like, the jury, when he says challenged every single juror for cause, the jury pool in a lot of those cases well, will be 120 people. And they'll call in 120 people. And this guy apparently had kept them there till like 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And they almost weren't able to see the jury because he, every single juror challenged for cause. Challenge for cause, and they would argue it, and it just—I don't know. I think it backfires. I think it does. So maybe there aren't teeth. You know, maybe you're not filing a motion. I think sometimes it backfires, sometimes it doesn't. But I think a lot, most of the time, judges judges hate it. But on the other hand, um, their you know goal is to decide the case on the merits, and so they will do their best to set it aside. Like we said, they're humans, and and so. I, my, I have my doubts as to whether or not they're able to completely set that aside. 
but they're I, I've seen them try. I mean, I've seen so jerkage. I've seen it I've can seen, be useful. Use cautiously. Yeah, <laughs> apparently, I you know I I don't I don't I I don't you know I try and be as civil as possible, and uh, you know and I I'm bull crap. <coughs> you know there have been occasions where I've lost my temper or where I've you know probably either come close to or violated a rule of civility or two. But I, I try very hard to stick with these rules um, because I think it makes life as a lawyer happier. And um, really that, that, that is what I get most out of them is when everybody's following them, it makes my life as an attorney less miserable. Agreed. Which is great. Okay, we're going to continue now with the discussion of ethics and civility. Uh, this conversation is with me and uh, Dan Garner, the law firm of White and Garner. He's my partner, and um, we're going to be discussing some of the uh, rules uh, applicable in Utah and a lot of other states that um, seem to be a bit antiquated and might maybe we want to take a look at changing them. Um, but while you're doing that, um, while you're listening to that, you can also check out trialguides.com. Uh, they're an important partner of ours. They provide, um, the, the, you know, leading materials in continuing education for civil plaintiffs and criminal defense trial lawyers. Uh, that includes books, includes CLEs, DVDs live webinars, and a whole lot more if you go to their website, trialguides.com. Um, if you use the code TLP10 at checkout, you can get a 10% 10, 10 discount on any order um, between now and August 31st of 2019. That's the letters TLP and the number 10. Um, and that will give you... Uh, what's a pretty great discount on some pretty awesome products that'll help you with your practice. So I I know I've used a lot of their products in my practice and really helped me to uh, kind of take things to the next level. So um, we'd encourage you to visit there. And now for the rest of the Trial Lawyers podcast. Okay, Dan. Yes, sir. The man. That's right. Uh, my partner here at White & Garner. We're going to add to the discussion the other day with Scott Powers about ethical issues. And um, I noticed you're relying a lot on a handout that we made for the um, Litigation 101 podcast, or Litigation 101 CLE, that... Uh, that I did the other day and that uh, Patrick Bird sometimes does with me. Um, occasionally when he, he feels like it doesn't cramp his style. Um, Sounds well, like there's a backstory, Gabe. Is there a backstory? Well, there, there may be, but, you know, I'm a gentleman. <laughs> and a scholar. And, well... Credit to your race. You know, I'm trying to adhere to the Utah Bar's policy of honesty, so I don't know if I could say I'm a scholar, but... Um, One bridge to And I'm not bar. sure what you mean by credit to my race. That seems... It's off uh, of a uh, Woody that, Allen movie I watched one time. That, that seems... Uh, he was... No, he oh, said credit to your gender. 
credit to my even still it seems a little questionable in our current era it's just a it's a funny thing that woody allen said and i was like man that is such a weird thing to say woody allen does say a lot of weird things and so I, I just throw it in occasionally that is keep people on their toes he that is a little he is a little weird that's true but you know sometimes and, in a good and way some weird allegations going on yeah let's uh you know another day Unless we want to do Another a podcast time. on that subject, let's let's let that slide for now. Like most of America, who goes and sees his movies, we're gonna <laughs> let that slide for now. Or Michael Jackson, or yeah, our, keep listening to his music. Hey, you know, it Being it happens. Catchy, you know, it, it happens, is. baby. You know? Have you watched that documentary, Leaving mm, Neverland or whatever? I have not. I'm afraid to. I. Because I really like his music. I don't say that I'm afraid to. Oh, I'm, I'm afraid just because I know it's gonna just unless doc. Here's here's the thing with documentaries. Okay, Crush. it's like it's like it's like somebody's trying to kill you with a BB gun, right? If they hit you exactly right <laughs> in the just the right spot with the BB gun at, the, at just the right power, they could do it. Yeah, but if they miss by even a millimeter. It's just going to be a horribly painful, pointless experience. And I feel that way with a lot of documentaries where I'm like, you know, I. Plus, I think. I, I want to see it, but. Documentary is a pretty loose term, I think, now. Like, making a murderer. Apparently, there was a lot of cuts and edits and lots of different things that made. Made the cops' performance or actions well, of look course. way worse. So in my mind, that's not a documentary. That's like a no, 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 no. But you see, you don't understand because they're just Adam, Adam Carolla did it. I think a documentary a few years ago about like car racing, uh-huh. <coughs> and he had somebody talking about some subject in relation to one thing, right? And he used it in the documentary to relate to something else yeah that had the same properties but it wasn't what they were actually talking about so there's still a level of artistic license sure but the which, way, which I would love the if, making the murder I would love if we if made we as it look like something had, happened that didn't happen I wish I wish as lawyers we had artistic license because then <laughs> You know, I could be a little more... That'd be fun. Of You know, uh, my advocacy could be a little more uh, aggressive than it is now. But um, And everyone who's ever been an opposing counsel to gay just went, more aggressive? <laughs> you know, I'm a nice... He's holding back? <laughs> I am a nice guy. Almost every... No doubt. ...opposing counsel, after we got out of even the most aggressive uh, arguments, I would definitely buy them lunch. No doubt. And I don't think anyone could ever say you're not nice. We're not. Well, no, there are people that will say that, but... Well, I will say that here's those thing, people are mistaken. They're wrong. Yes. Yes, exactly. They're wrong. <laughs> they're wrong. They haven't given me enough of a chance to show um, my kindness. Um, that's but right. that, that said... Let's talk a little bit about ethics and civility here. Oh, and man. I'm going to be combining this together with Scott Powers and I's discussion about ethics and civility. Oh, you haven't so, released that one yet? No. 
that one hasn't gone up on the on the site yet because you know the thing with ethics and civility and I've sat on the Utah advisory opinion ethics advisory opinion committee mm-hmm. the reality is is that anytime you're in that room there are and, and an issue comes up there are at least four or five six different opinions sure as I mean that's out. why I mean I remember that's being, why they're they're the way they are right I mean it's reasonable people can disagree Exactly, and well, you know, and you've got you've got some people in the room that are career academics, right? Who have a lot of knowledge, but haven't don't have a lot of real world experience, and then you've got a lot of people who are litigators. And I remember, you know, arguing with some of the academics with um, my my primary um, supporter was the judge on the panel which the judges oftentimes don't make it as often as the other parties because they're busy but um, this was a a district court judge that I had a lot of respect for and he and I were talking about and even uh, more respect since he agreed with you well that just tells me that he knows what he's doing (laughs) but uh, no I'm kidding (laughs) this judge is uh, I've I've tried cases in front of him and he's infinite he not infinitely. He's very. He's much more intelligent than I am. But this particular judge, um, this particular judge, and I were arguing over with some of the more academic members of the panel about referral arrangements. How there are, while the rule prohibits express. referral arrangements that you know the push was should we eliminate um, sort of implicit referral arrangements do those violate the rules and myself and this judge who had been a commercial litigator for a number of years put forth the opinion that um, this would be ridiculous and crazy because no attorney is going to keep referring cases to another attorney that doesn't return the favor. And even if the two don't ever have any discussion or communication regarding the same, that is the expectation, and there is no way to prevent that or police it. Well, it would be a terrible business practice. Why on earth would you continue to... I mean, the whole point you refer out a case, the, the whole reason why I tell friends and family, like, if you have any legal issue at all, talk to me about it. If I don't do it, I'll find someone who I know I can trust. First, to help them, because I don't, you know, they can Google someone and get get someone that won't do as good of a job as someone that I would refer, or equally good, but there's a risk, right? So... I try and get referrals just so that we can refer out, and hopefully they keep me in mind next time if they have a case to refer to. That just makes sense. Well, and it's it's common courtesy. I mean, if you have friends and family that call you with a legal issue, you don't want to say, hey, I can't help you because that's not my area or, you know, I'm not willing to 
represent friends and family, you want to be able to say, hey, you know, I come back to our analysis as we're like oncologists. Okay, Nobody wants to have to see sure. an oncologist. But when you do need an oncologist, you need them really bad. Right. And when somebody calls me needing that kind of service, you know, like, and, and when I say oncologist, I mean the type of service where if they don't get what they need, they're going to be in deep, 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 deep trouble very soon. Right. I want to make sure that I refer them to somebody who can take care of their issues and and help them out with their problem. Right. Make a good referral. Right. Um, I think our referral rules are already too restrictive, honestly. But that has more to do with... I mean... Well, Utah, Utah is... Well, New York. I don't want to see it's say it's unique, but Utah is in the group of states that don't allow express referral fees. Right. Which I think, I think, um, I mean, obviously it doesn't benefit the attorneys, but I think it also has consequences for the client. I think so too. Well, I, I, I think the biggest thing that happens is that people instead of specializing they become more generalists and the more general you are in your practice it's like anything else i mean if all you did all day long uh as a dentist was root canal and i know they have i can't remember what they're called but endodontist endodontist yeah as a person with horrible teeth, I can tell you they're called endodontists. Yeah, so I mean, and I, they have access to amazing pharmaceuticals. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that. You know, I had a root canal, and they didn't even give me the gas. Then you went to the wrong they were, endodontist. I don't know because I was in and out were you, in were you thirty in, minutes. Were you in an endodontist office or were you in a, do, a dentist office? Endodontist, yeah. Okay, then you went to the wrong end of the I don't know, man. So I was, last time, last I was I in and to, out in 30 minutes. Hey, the no last... No pain. I was zero, they gave me the shots, but no gas. In and out in 30 minutes. Okay, well, they probably, give like, you, they probably give you morphine. But the, no, they the, gave me morphine. They gave me the shots the, in your gums. They but didn't they, give you any, any sort of general anesthetic. Well, maybe zip. Dan... You are the Game of Thrones pain um, threshold or pain something? threshold champion. Or he's really good. Either way, I'll take it. Um, I don't know that him being really good can decrease the amount of pain that comes from your the nerves in your teeth. Well, if he's really good at giving the shots, even then, because there's a third this, option. They, you could be a wimp. They 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 dig down. <laughs> I'm making a particular hand signal to you that should have certain meaning to you, and we won't have to expose our listeners to it. But uh, you know, the the beauty of the endodontist, in my mind, is that they understand what the root canal entails. So every time I go into an endodont, the, the times I've been to an endodontist, yeah. which I think are two, yeah, I had nitrous. He gave me a pain med and an anti-anxiety med beforehand, huh? and I was in and out of consciousness during the entire time he was doing the work. And, but it wasn't... Was it two at the same time? Two what? Uh, two root canals at the same time? No. 
But it was it was a back molar, so it was a little more challenging, and it because of my yeah I, I would argue extremely rational fear of dentistry. Well, um, they are drilling into bone, right? Sure. <laughs> um, you know, I'd let go to the point where the tooth had like cracked in half, and it was like a back molar. Oh yeah, um, and I was getting like these two-hour-long migraines from it. Um, you know, he got me in. He put me... He, he gave me the nitrous and some other meds that put me under enough hmm. that he's like, look, you don't want to really be awake or yeah. fully but back conscious to my uh, sounds or original whatever. point is, is that the more you specialize in something, the better you get at it. Sure. Right. So if you allow for referral fees or... Because now we, we kind of can, right? We can associate with the firm or we can co-counsel you mean, on a case you mean to, like, get, to get to share a fee split, basically. Okay, so either have to comply... In Utah, you either have to comply with the fee splitting rules right. or the person has to be a member of your firm. Right. So there's ways around it, more complicated, and I guess you could probably argue uh, the client is more educated, probably. Kinda. Maybe. But in New York, you can you know specialize in PI, and then every time you get a family law case, send it to your buddy, and just have an agreement between him that you get 20%, or whatever it is. And every yeah. time you get a criminal, you get 20%. So it's an actual revenue source for the lawyer, and they're not on the hook. They don't have to worry about the malpractice. It's well, just a referral fee. And I get the sense that the original rules, uh, I may be wrong about this, but I get the sense the original rules were drafted with the expectation that it, absent these rules, that the attorneys would take advantage of the clients and that the clients would wind up paying higher fees because there were two attorneys on the case and that's why there's a requirement for all this disclosure of these other fees and most of the times when I disclose that to the client they're like really why are you talking like yeah, yeah like really okay fine whoever I have you no need problem to use. with disclosure if they you know if they want to say you know if I refer a family law case and the guy I refer it to and they have, end up signing up charges 250 or 300 an hour or whatever and they say and by the way because xyz referred me to you um i'm gonna pay him 20 percent of whatever and, bill and the reality is i would have no problem with is that you could either. change the you could change the rules of professional conduct to allow referral fees and basically make it a very simple rule that just said as long as it doesn't increase substantially the cost to the client. Yeah, I get... Even then, I mean, sometimes I feel like the bar treats our clients like they're not adults. Is that, is that some fair? Of, some of them aren't. Yeah, but we can't sign up a minor without their parents. True, but I mean, I, I get. I'm just of the I opinion get the of desire if, to. If I charge four hundred and this guy charges three hundred an hour, 
and I tell them 400 and they know full well this other guy's 300, they should be able to make that decision. That I, I agree with that. And I think that, you know, there is a certain amount of, of uh, patronizing sort of behavior as to, well, you know, what we should allow the client to make the decision on their own. And, and in that, their defense, it's they, usually because someone took advantage of someone else. That's true. Right? Yeah, it's like, um, gosh, our listeners who are not uh, Mormons will not understand this, but uh, when when Mormon missionaries, who I assume most of our listeners have experience with, because there's so many of them, go out into the field, they're given a list of rules, and it's in a little white book that everyone jokes and calls the White Bible. And there's all sorts of random rules about, like, missionaries are not allowed to fly in private planes, and they're not allowed to handle fireworks. And Is that not in there, the private to... plane thing? Yeah. And <laughs> there's not, I mean, it was when I was a missionary. And there's, you know, there's all sorts of things, and... You know, I never read that thing. Which, yeah, okay. <laughs> this is not a, com- do, does this look like a confessional? Do I, look, do I look like the kind of guy who can give you absolution for your sins? I, I wouldn't trust me people, to give me absolution. People, different people in different missions, they, I, it seems like they like read that thing like every day. And I don't think I ever had a single... We were anyone who was like, they look read, at it and they go, yeah, often. if you have a question, it's in there. And I guess I just didn't have very many questions. We, we had... Or we I had, didn't want to know the answer. We had, <laughs> we had uh, encouragement to read it, but... Um, the point of it, what the point of my comment is that every single one of these things, even though there are a lot of weird things in there, you know, like missionaries are not allowed to handle explosives or That's to not that weird. Uh, okay, but for most, for if you were writing a manual the of swimming rules, thing. if you're writing a manual of rules for nineteen, sure. for any group other than nineteen year old boys, that would be extremely odd. That you're not allowed to handle explosives with 19 year old boys. Then that's 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 a reasonable statement to make. I guess, yeah. But but the point is, is that you never know, been had that itch to handle explosives. They would go through and they would say, "Okay, we've had this incident, sure. and and therefore we need to put a rule." So there'd be a, this long list of rules in there. <laughs> That didn't necessarily relate to one another, but they're all like lists based of, on a, some horror story. Yeah, some some incident had caused them to add this rule to the list, and I think that sometimes the at least in Utah the rules of professional conduct are drafted the same way because you know there's been some incidents of you know some attorney conduct that would violate the rule and. I think in the case of fee splitting, yeah, um, you know that would be the exception and not the rule. And you could handle it in a much less heavy-handed way than they do. I think disclosure. I think disclosure takes care of it. Disclosure, I think, takes care of it, and saying, "Look, the um, fee to the client cannot be cannot increase as a result of the fee split." Yeah, sure. I don't know uh, how you would go about proving that, but... Sure. Well, you could just say, look, he's going to get 
you know, this attorney's going to get 5%, 10% of the fee, and we're charging a one-third contingency fee, and that's standard for this type of case, or a 40% contingency fee for a more risky case. Yeah. Say this is a standard fee for this case, and so-and-so is going to get 10% of that. That doesn't affect the outcome to the client at all. No. And the client's aware of it. I, if it doesn't affect the outcome to the client at all, I think the only reason for the client to be aware of it is in case so they're looking for maybe someone to sue. something you could answer is, how can... I can't... I mean, everyone who I talk to about this issue agrees with me that we should be able to do referral fees, right? So how can we change it? The bar... It, we have It's a weird relationship, well, right? The so, bar is supposed to monitor us but also it's made up of members of itself so let me explain to you the overarching the the oz behind the curtain so to speak the oz behind the curtain is the five members of the utah supreme court okay sure and they're not unlike oz they have actual real power and and um the reality is, is that I mean, you saw how fast the paralegal practitioner rules came into effect, and how fast that program got developed. Whether we, you know, setting sure, aside sure, sure. the merits of that for now, but um, there's a good argument that one of the reasons why that was so fast was because there was a Utah Supreme Court justice who was really passionate about the program, I won't say who, but was involved in all of the meetings and and helped drive it. And it's because the Utah Supreme Court has the authority to regulate the bar, and they delegate that to the Bar Association. Right. And But at any time, they can step in and take Detail. an issue away. Sure. Right? And so... Um, so I guess it's just that it would it be the ethics committee? Would you like, hey ethics committee, I want to propose this change? Um, the way I would suggest proposing a change is getting on the, you know, not the disciplinary remo- review committee, but the actual Utah Supreme Court committee regarding the rules of professional conduct. Yeah. And then start advocating it from there. From within, huh? From within. Because the judiciary is not a branch of government that does well from a great deal of advocacy from without. Unless unless you're talking about like a nationwide movement. Well, and I'm not like, like I said, it, it wouldn't go through unless the majority of people saw the wisdom in it or I mean my my for example one of my it doesn't keep me up at night one of so. my key key elements. but I'm sure there are some people out there that are listening that are like hey I wonder if we could change this rule how on earth could that happen that's true no and and you know one of my key things is I think that the rules regarding solicitation are outmoded and violate, um, you know, the free right. Free speech. The, yeah, the first, even commercial free speech uh, rights. And, you know, which uh, obviously are subject to more, to more um, 
lenient scrutiny than like political free speech rights, but you know, the reality is is that there's nothing more there's very few things more important than the ability of a of someone to speak in promotion of their business, of their property. I mean, you know, the expression was originally drafted life you know, for the protection of our life, liberty, and property. It sure. was changed to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness uh, later on. And um, so, it, you know, it's clearly a significant issue. The question is just, you know, okay, when it comes to how to change it, you're talking about influencing the Utah Supreme Court Yeah. in, in this state. Um, and, you know, maybe that's a, the direct way to go. Maybe it's something that has to be handled on a national level. And you have to have, you know, 10 or 15 states that agree with it before you could bring it up before the Utah Supreme Court and have any success. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and I've always thought that attorneys get, you know, and this is just my personal perspective. I may not be correct in this, but I've always thought attorneys get short shrift when it comes to... First Amendment rights and other other rights because the judiciary is the one who makes the decision. And so when it comes to, for example, the rule that lawyers should not disparage members, active members of the judiciary, that seems like a prima facie, you know, violation of first amendment rights i mean it's a it's well especially when you look at it from the fact that most of our judges are political appointments in utah yeah and but but in other places there's another extra level of in other places they're elected well that's what i'm saying and 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 but the idea that we have appointed judges here or elected judges somewhere else and that you can't say you're limited in what you can say negatively about them, or there's a chilling effect that comes from, you know, the regulations as opposed to the law governing free speech. Um, you know, I don't know that necessarily that's a hundred percent positive thing because, um, right. you know, uh, attorneys should have as much free speech rights as anybody else and the ability you know especially when the judge is either the fact finder in a bench trial or is taking such a firm hand with the jury and with the evidentiary findings that the judge is essentially controlling you know has a major control over the outcome of the litigation um, you know, your ability to speak freely about that litigation and to yeah. express opinions about the, what the judge has done could be essential to the very bedrock of the freedoms that the First Amendment is trying to protect. Um, yeah, very good point. So, you know, I, I think... We, so the real question is, what do you think are tens of listeners... 
That's supposed to be... You never laugh at that joke, and I think it's hilarious. What? Our tens of listeners joke. We have more than tens of listeners. We have two... I know! That's we why have, it's we funny. Have close, we have close Hundreds. To, we have hundreds. Hundreds of listeners. Close to thousands. All right. All right. But that's why it's funny. Dan, never disparage... You remember the Godfather Part Two when What if you become a Michael, judge? When Michael and Fredo How am I gonna make fun of you? I'm never gonna happens. become a judge, I promise never you. Never say never. I'm just uh, I will say never. I have no interest in that job. If Trump will, tapped you for a federal judge, I you would, would say no. if Trump tapped me for a federal judge, I would go to the interview so I could say to him in the person, Hell no. <laughs> okay. Trump, if you're listening, I would say yes. Yeah, I'm just, just you're just you're, you know. It's a federal it's, judgeship. You know, it's big deal. Mindless drone. Big deal. Know. Sure. Sure. But you got to remember where I that big Trump deal knows came who from. I am though. I unfortunately, my and I could get in a Twitter and, war with him. And thank should goodness I? for you. Should I get in a Twitter no, fight? You, you shouldn't get in a Twitter fight. Could be good publicity for us. It could, or, or, it could turn nasty. Could be bad. Uh, the what's happened with Michael uh, Avenatti? <laughs> yeah, but that was a, is 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 a little bit of an example about how that thing can go a little out of out of control, right? I guess so. Yeah. Now we talked a lot about that in in the discussion with Powers. So we won't go over Is there that. any uh, movement on that? You He's know, been indicted, but nothing besides that, right? I, no, I haven't seen it, and I wouldn't expect in this shorter time frame since it was first announced that... Uh, it's only been like a month. I think it's been less than that. I think it's been a few... It's been a couple of weeks. Really? That's it? Huh. Yeah. At least since the indictments were, indictments were announced, which usually with grand jury indictments... Yeah. It, it when they're indicted is when it becomes public. Right. Um, Time is such a weird thing when you get older. It goes fast. That's a deep observation, Dan. Don't you think it's gone faster since you've been older? When you were a kid, like one day at school was like torture. It depends. I mean, it depends on how you look at it, but uh, I can definitely see I can't even remember, like the last 10 years has been just like... Where you're coming from. I wouldn't say that necessarily. I would say that... um, Like law school? That major, major event... See, law school for you was in the last 10 years. See, I would say major events um, still happen like they did when you were younger, except they're not predictable. Like when you were younger, you could predict that like 16... You're going to get your driver's license, you're going to be driving a car. And 18, you're going to be an adult. And you were looking forward to that for like years. Yeah. Okay. When you're in your late 20s and, and when you're in your 30s and I suppose in your 40s, same amount of... Because that's so far away from you, for you. It's eons away, eons. my friend. Eons. That's right. A whole several months. Um... Big four zero. Uh, don't let's Knock okay. On I'm gonna. This is where I'm gonna institute a cut in the, in the editing. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. Okay. Um, yeah, that's where the commercial goes. Um, 
you know, I think that, um, you know, they, those events do happen, but they're just not as predictable. Sure. Yeah, you you still have huge events. Well, and most of the events are like bad that change your life. Not necessarily. I mean, by the time you're forty. Okay, but listen to me. You know, about death. In our thirties, Wendy and I, you know, had sudden announcements that we were going to adopt a kid. Right, and totally changed our lives. You know, we got a dog, which seems like a small thing, but is, again, totally rearranged What'd our lives. What'd you end lives. up naming him again? Atlas. Atlas. Ooh, yeah. Carry, carries the world on his shoulders, even though he's basically... The size the, of my palm? The size of, yeah, the size of a lot. Well, no, he's a little bigger than that. You can carry him in your palm, but he... Just barely. He's a little bigger than that, and he's getting bigger all the time, but... Um, and we gotta get him support animals certified so we can put him in the office. Get him in the office, which could be our mascot. Putting this on the on the thing kind of undermines the ability to do that, but to actually get him certified, there is no certification. Yes, there is. I mean, there are organizations you can, but the Justice Department says you don't really need it. You can train your own service animal. Oh, really? Yeah. There's yeah. an opinion on that, huh? Well, Justice Department guidance, yeah, as to how they'll proceed with enforcement actions. It's because... Have you seen that video of two guys that go on a plane that have emotional support hawks? No, I have not. They had emotional support hawks. Oxen? Hawks. Hawks. Yeah, like the, like the bird. A hawk. Oh, a hawk. Oh, yeah. Multiple of? I think that... Um, Saw the video. It's pretty funny. I'm familiar with hawks, and I don't know what sort of emotional support... Same unless, way a chicken could. Unless... Uh, okay, but are you aware of a whole bunch of emotional support chickens? No, but I wasn't aware of emotional support hawks until a week ago when I saw the video on Twitter. Yeah, I'm not aware of emotional support chickens. Pretty much, I'm any, sure there is. Pretty much, I'm sure someone has gone animal, on a plane any with animal, a chicken any and animal, claimed it to be an emotional support. I'm sure that that's happened too. Any animal that doesn't give a shit about you, just generally, I think you have a hard time claiming that's, which actually would include most cats. Is there really any better animal than a dog? Just from an emotional support? Humans. Well, I'm not going to go there because humans aren't animals but whatever we sort of are you get what i'm saying i do as far as as far as service animals i don't know that maybe a monkey certain types of monkeys that are extremely well trained could be better i wonder how a dolphin would be because they're smart limited (laughs) extremely limited to the, only, o- to only, the ocean. It'd be like the selfish support animal. <laughs> like, I yeah, will, yeah, I will support you. I'll, I'll be here for you, but you got to come to me. As long as I'm on, the, as you're all standing on the docks, okay? Or Everyone's had a friend like that too. They're really good friends, but they you only when you call them, and, and when you go over to their house. 
His name is Patrick. Patrick Burt. <laughs> hey, that was beautiful. I teed it up for you, and you just... Just hit it out of the hit park. Hit it out of the park. Hit it out of the park, that's right. That went really loud on the feedback. That's okay. I can use compression and get it down if it, if beautiful. it gets too high. Okay. Um, Great episode. So, so what was the point of the episode? The point of the episode was ethics and how we think there should be a possibility of referral fees. Okay, so the purpose of this episode has been to discuss why the rules in Utah should be changed to allow for referral fees because... Specialization. It encourages specialization. Encourages specialization. Which gives better service and better advocacy to the client encourages attorneys to specialize in particular areas and helps direct members of the public to those specialized attorneys yep which is fantastic very succinctly said my friend thank you so much for listening to the trial lawyer podcast as always we appreciate all of our listeners that take the time to tune in and um listen to us rant and rave about weird things in the legal profession and stuff that has to deal with the law um you know we ask that if you get a chance get a take a a stroll over to itunes and give us a rating maybe leave some comments also you can go to the website www.saltlaketrialattorney.com and navigate over to the trial lawyer's podcast website and there you can leave comments on particular episodes on the podcast as a whole and also submit questions you'd like us to address uh, on the air and we'll try and get to as many of those as we can Uh, thank you again for listening and this has been another episode of the trial lawyer podcast see you later